Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Four Verticals Podcast. I'm your host, Maurice Phipps. This episode is being recorded on November 11th, 2020. Before we start with the news, I have a very, very special guest. Um, I've known him all my life, and I've been wanting to get him on the podcast for some time now. So if you can introduce yourself, please. Yeah, great to be here. My name is Robert Sutton. I currently am pursuing my athletic career at Eastern Illinois University. I'm a defensive back, mostly in the slot, or I prefer to be a strong safety, too, sometimes. Good to have you on the show. All right. So let's start off with some NBA news. December 22nd has been the agreed-upon start date for uh, this next season. Uh, The season will be shortened to a 72-game season instead of the regular 82. Robert, can I get your thoughts on this? Yeah, I can see what they're trying to accomplish here. And personally, I have to say I'm all for it. You know, you have to get the season back on track to the original dates. I'm really appreciative, honestly, of what the NBA has done with the whole bubble and how they finished off the season and got the deserving winner of that season. And this new season will definitely show which teams are really ready for any time, any place, anywhere. While I do agree with that, we still have to – um, deal with the looming and very apparent threat, which is COVID-19. Uh, we'll get into this more later in the show, but COVID-19 has hit um, extremely hard, and it's not going away anytime soon. So the question is, how does the NBA move forward with this knowledge? Because we've seen the NFL uh Games have had to be pushed back because of COVID-19 concerns. Um, entire entire seasons have, or not not seasons, excuse me, ex- entire weeks have been uh, shifted around the COVID-19 scare, and it's just it's very it's very interesting to see what the NBA will attempt to do because the bubble was a fantastic situation, being that there were no COVID cases for. I believe the entirety of the the bubble um, when the players started and until the, when the players left, there were no confirmed COVID cases in the bubble. But with a 72-game season, a bubble is virtually impossible, especially with, um, you know, how in the bubble there were a limited amount of teams. And when the playoffs started, some of those teams that didn't make the playoffs, they left. So a bubble situation is not possible with the full uh, NBA, all 30 teams. So it's just it's very interesting to see what uh, Adam Silver is, is going to do to, you know, get the season on track without any scares of COVID-19. And more NBA news, the NBA draft is on November 18th. My Bulls have the number four pick in the draft, so very excited about that. I wish we could have got maybe one or two, but maybe better luck next time. Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll be in a a better position than we were last season. Uh, Robert, can I get your thoughts on the Warriors having the number two pick in the draft? Honestly, the Warriors couldn't have been put in a better position in this draft. I mean, besides obviously number one. But with the loss of KD, that was really probably the best score in the league, arguably. But 
I feel like with this number two pick, they need to pick up center James Wiseman out of Memphis, even though I know that he had a, that falling out with the whole Penny Haraway scandal and everything like that. He still proved to be an amazing and dominant force on the court. He literally looked like a man amongst boys out there for every game that he played in, even though it was a short time they had him. But that's uh, that's the best pick they can really get out that draft, honestly, unless they want to pick up the arguable number one prospect with e- either that's Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball and try to trade for, with him. But right now they need to get James Wiseman. Speaking of Anthony Edwards, um, reports have came out that Anthony Edwards, Anthony Edwards, excuse me, his pro day was very lackluster to NBA scouts and that teams are sort of shying away from him after that. Uh, I don't think that that's much of a concern as of now. Again, he hasn't played a single NBA game, so it's really up in the air if he can make it in the NBA or not. With with every draft pick, you're taking a chance. There are no bona fide stars. Well, on extremely rare occasions, there are bona fide stars out of the draft. But, you know, with with every pick, there's a risk. Um, if, in my opinion... The Warriors are in a very, very unique situation, you know, coming off of a finals loss to being the now, well, the former worst team in the in the league. That's a that's almost unheard of, you know. We 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 saw Clay get injured, uh, we saw Katie leave, we saw D'Angelo Russell get traded in the middle of the season, we saw Draymond get hurt, we saw we saw Stephen Curry get hurt. And so those the everything essentially fell right into place. And so the Warriors, when healthy, are clearly a contender. You know, we've we've seen this we've seen this team uh win it all without Katie. So definitely a, a good situation for them to be in. You know, uh if you ask me the Warriors don't necessarily need to use this pick. Um I feel that they have sufficient value in trading the pick for, I don't know, some key assets. Um, I've seen, I've seen a lot of potential trades regarding the second pick, you know, uh, floating around the internet. A lot of very interesting situations for the for the Warriors. So, we will definitely be monitoring this situation because it is a extremely unique one. Um, the, possi- the possibility of LaMelo Ball falling to number four. Uh, Robert, can I have your thoughts on that? I don't think it's possible at all. I think he's a top three pick lock, if you ask me. Honestly, if LaMelo falls number four, that would be a dream come true for Bulls fans, especially me. But especially I me. just don't see that happen as much as I wanted to because – Lamelo is starting to become more and more, especially with the quote-unquote lackluster pro day from Anthony Edwards. Especially with that, Lamelo is starting to look more and more like the true number one pick in the draft. And before this draft was even taking a full effect, people were saying that it isn't star power heavy as previous yeah, drafts. I, I have been. seen many people say that this draft is very uh, lackluster in the in the star department. They People have said that this is one of the worst drafts talent-wise in recent history, which, I mean, has yet to be seen because, I mean, they haven't played an NBA game. But 
you know, those those sentiments are out there. Yeah, but LaMelo definitely sure looks like a star right now, in my opinion. I know it's too early to tell, but from what I've seen from him, especially being overseas for so long now, he definitely has had experience with a bunch of different type of guys that play pro, and he was dominating them for the most part. If you ask me, an unsung hero in this entire LaMelo situation is LeVar Ball because, you know, with the, with the entirety of the Lonzo situation, you know, say what you want, Lonzo was a number two pick. You know, he, 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 he balled out in Chino Hills with his brothers and UCLA. He balled out as well. And he he worked himself into being that number two pick, you know. Lamelo's situation was different. Uh, he elected to not go to college. Uh, he sp- he spent his senior year um, jumping around to, from high school program to high school program. Uh, I believe he played in Lithuania. He played in Lavar Ball's league. Then he, he also uh, played in Spire Academy. Um, back in his senior year because he wanted to be around his peers and he was dominating then even though it was still high school level. Yeah, he he played with them uh his most recent uh basketball adventures have been in Australia. And so LaMelo has gotten a lot of unique experience and I believe that LeVar is a very pivotal piece in LaMelo being as highly coveted as he is. Um I think it's great that LaMelo is living up to his draft hype, at least. And so um, I definitely expect LaMelo to be uh, either number one or number two pick. Whether the Timberwolves pick him up or the Warriors, that has yet to be seen. But we'll definitely know on November 18th. Now, there have been trade rumors around a potential Suns Thunder trade for Chris Paul. Um, if you ask me, this trade would make the Suns a a very good team, but I don't believe that they would be contenders in the West. Um, if this trade were to happen, the Suns would have to give up young pieces like a Mikael Bridges uh, or a Kelly Oubre, and I don't think that that's necessarily the move that the Suns make right now. Uh, you know, they they went undefeated in the bubble aside from the playing game against – no, they didn't have a playing game, excuse me. Uh, they went undefeated in the bubble. Um, you know, they're, they, have a, they have a superstar in Devin Booker. You know, they have very great young pieces. And so the leadership aspect of having Chris Paul would definitely uh, – it would it would definitely show as it did with the the Oklahoma City Thunder. They were an amazing team. I believe they were the fifth seed in last year. They were either the fifth or sixth seed. I apologize for not knowing off top, but uh, I don't believe this is necessarily the right move for the Thun- for the uh, Suns to make, only because Chris Paul is thirty five years old, you know, and that would be a massive cap hit to uh, the Suns. I believe he's making $35 million for the next two years. And then you're dealing with the 37-year-old Chris Paul. You know, 
I believe this move would make them a playoff team, but not just not necessarily a contender because you have to look at the West. The West still has the Warriors, who a lot of people have slept on and kind of written them off to the Lakers and the Clippers. You have the Lakers, defending champions, don't need to say much else. You have the Clippers, who, yes, they did go out very in very disappointing fashion, but uh, Kawhi is still a top three player in the NBA, and so you can never count them out. Uh, you have Luka and Porzingis as Mavericks. You have Jamal Murray and Jokic's Nuggets. And so there, if you ask me, there are just too many threats in the West in order for the Suns to be uh, com- to compete for a title. But they could definitely make a, a, a playoff run uh, if they trade for Chris Paul. But I don't necessarily b- believe that this is the move. Uh, Robert, can I, get you, can I get your opinion on this? Uh, well, honestly, I say Chris Paul would definitely be a bad move because look at what the Suns did in the bubble. They went undefeated. They're literally the only team to go undefeated. They obviously they obviously figured out some things in that bubble, and they're definitely going to continue to improve on those things and keep advancing them. Why ruin that chemistry that the guys have, especially with Chris Paul's age and the money that he's going to be asking for? I say it's a no-go, especially considering think about what you have to give up for Chris Paul. Now, if the Suns were in a position to get Chris Paul without getting giving up anything, maybe a draft pick, then that would be a very unique situation because they're getting that leadership from him and they're still getting a very good player from what we've seen he did to the, dun- the Thunder and making them a playoff team and almost taking out the Rockets. It went all the way to game seven. But if they had to give up any of those starting players or even if somebody off the bench, I really don't think that's a good move because they obviously had some things figured out. Devin Booker was definitely tearing up the bubble, and when he was out for the times that he needed to have rest, the backup guys, they handled the business. They held, they held those leagues in those close games, so I feel like Chris Paul would be a bad move if you had to give up a lot for him. Um, in more potential trade rumors, uh, I've been hearing a lot of whispers about potential Victor Oladipo uh, landing spots, and one that I've heard consistently was the Miami Heat. I don't necessarily think that, well, first off, it's unclear whether Oladipo is unhappy with the Pacers organization or whether the media is being the media and blowing things out of proportion. Either way, the Pacers are in no position to contend for a championship. They're clearly a solid playoff team, but... I mean, just look at the last playoffs. They're in no position to even make it out of the second round if they make it that far. So I don't I don't necessarily know how much the Heat would like a Victor Oladipo trade because if you think about it, Oladipo is a phenomenal scorer, you know, it's some, it seems some people have forgotten that because of his injuries. But when he first got to Indiana, he was, ext- he was extremely, ex- he was an extremely good scorer, and he's always shown flashes of being uh, a superstar in the league. Even when he was on the Magic, 
Um, a little bit less when he was on the Thunder, but he was also dealing with injury concerns. But if you ask me, the Miami Heat would have to give up way too much that's valuable to them in order to potentially land a Victor Oladipo. Um, you know, they got guys like Jay Crowder coming off the bench, or actually Jay Crowder maybe starting, I don't know. But you got you got guys like Jay Crowder who would almost assuredly be uh, trade assets in, in this trade. You know, you got you got your young guys who have shown a lot of a lot of promise. You know, you got players like Derrick Jones Jr. who didn't get a lot of playing time in the playoffs, but during the regular season, you know, he was he was solid. And so I don't know how much you'd want to mess with that core because um, if you ask me right now, the Heat, the Heat are clearly the best team in the East, you know. So I don't know, I don't know if they'd want to uh, add too many ingredients just yet. I think that see, I I would I would love to see it, but I don't know if that would lead to the same magic that uh, happened in the bubble, which led them to an NBA Finals. Away from NBA news and on the NFL news, this is very unfortunate for the Steelers, but Ben Roethlisberger, Vance McDonald, and I believe three other members of the Steelers had tested positive for COVID-19. This is sidelining, this is sidelining them ahead of their Week 9 matchup against the Bengals. Uh, Robert, with the absence of Ben Roethlisberger and a few other members, does this jeopardize their perfect season against the Bengals? Yes, I do think it jeopardizes their perfect season against the Bengals because you see what the Bengals did to the Titans uh, last week, and they completely upset them. That was surprising to most viewers, but Joe Burrow, he got his rhythm, and he started connecting with his receivers all around. That defense held the Titans up as well. And when the Titans played the Steelers, it was very bully ball-like. The Steelers did their usual bully ball type of game and just pound the team into the dirt with just their consecutive play style being consistent and not going for the big plays. So I'm not saying that they will lose to the Bengals next week, but I'm definitely saying that Joe Burrow can get it done as far as how he's been playing last how these last few games. And he's been very consistent as well. And moving on forward, COVID – it's not a one-week thing. It's about a two- to three-week type of thing. And even after those two or three weeks, you have a bunch of other guidelines you must get, go through and proceed through before mm -hmm. you actually are clear to play, even if the COVID is not positive in your body. I believe Cam Newton was sidelined for two weeks. Yeah, about two to three weeks. Yeah. And we saw what uh, the absence of Cam Newton did to the Patriots. So Yeah, and the ball really dropped on those guys. And... I'm not saying Big Ben and the Steelers are can't do in the Patriots because they're not, but that could really mess up the flow of things because the Steelers are absolutely hot right now. They're coming off a of, yes, they are close games, but they're still finding a way to win. That's the whole end goal, finding a way to win. It's not how you win, it's about winning all in the end. But this is definitely gonna but how they win is definitely gonna play into their next few games because they don't have their starting quarterback and they're missing a lot of other key players on that team. You know, it's crazy because uh, before this, these COVID diagnoses, diagnoses, excuse me, uh, we were talking about the Steelers potentially going um, undefeated in the season. 
you know, that cow the Cowboys matchup was by everybody almost assuredly uh, going to be a big victory, and that was close. So with Big Ben out, uh, Vance McDonald, who's a great tight end for them, and a few other players, we don't necessarily know how how they'll play because the backups for Big Ben have not been uh, good. You know, we saw we saw last season with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. And Mason Rudolph. Yeah, they they weren't they were not good. Not at so all. Uh, interesting to see if the Steelers can pull it off against the Bengals, especially because it's an uh, it's an in conference rival. And so, you know, you <laughs> you always want to put your best foot forward versus them, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. While we're on the topic of the young quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert have been showing extreme promise, and Tua Tagovailoa has started off his career uh, with two wins, I believe. If you ask me, Joe Burrow is playing as we expected him to play. He's he's doing the best he can um, on the Bengals. You know the Bengals have been bad for I don't I don't know how long. You know Joe Burrow is he's 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 doing fine for a rookie. Uh, I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing for him. But if you ask me, the main person we should be giving our attention to is Justin Herbert. You know, Justin Herbert, I believe, is second in the league in passing yards as a rookie. That's, I mean, that's kind of crazy. You know, he, Justin Herbert does not have a lot of wins this season. That is true. But wins are not necessarily a quarterback stat. You know, as much as people go on to say that uh, Tom Brady has X amount of wins in his career, you know, Drew Brees has X amount of wins in his career. The wins don't all the time fall on the quarterback alone, you know, especially when we've seen with these charges, uh, with these charges losses, a bunch of heartbreaking losses, you know. I think, I believe last week uh, a, a game when a touchdown got called back because the Chargers player dropped it, you know, nothing you could do about that as a quarterback. You place the ball in the money. And you expect that you gotta hold on to it, and he and he drops it when he falls to the ground. So a series of unfortunate events has plagued uh, Herbert in his career thus far, but despite that, uh, I I I very much so like what I'm seeing from Herbert. Uh, Robert, can I get your opinion on this? Yes, don't get me wrong. Justin Herbert is phenomenal. He's a he's playing way better than I expected him to play. You know. And Tua, don't get me wrong, too, he and that showdown with Kyler, he definitely proved his worth by getting in that win. And the Cardinals are a very good and very physical team. And Tua went in there and he got the job done. But Joe Burrow is playing phenomenal. And you talk about close games with the Chargers, but Burrow and the Bengals, they've had plenty of close games. That week one game, you go back to when they play at the Chargers, they go to overtime. And I believe Burrow wins that game if they go to overtime but his kicker couldn't get the job done. Then you go to the two games with the Browns. Burrow has the lead for good chunks of that game, but his defense just can't hold it up. And he Burrow dropped 30-plus points in both of those games. 
Then you go to the Eagles. They tie with the Eagles, and the Eagles played good that game. And the Eagles also played good against the Steelers until they ended up losing. So they're not as sorry as a team as we make them out to be. And then you go to that Titans game, and Burrow, when his defense can hold up, he can get the win. He dropped 32-plus points on them. And also, Burrow had a very, very, very great game against the Colts. And the Colts' defense is not arguably, arguably top three in the league right now. They're arguably top three in the league right now, and they're a very good defense. And Burrow was really beating, beating the Colts by himself for most of that game until his defense just couldn't hold up towards the end. They couldn't keep a lead. The Colts got hot in the fourth quarter, and then the rest is history. So you talk about close games, you talk about Herbert. Yes, Herbert is playing phenomenal, but Burrow is doing just about as good as – I mean, not not just about as good as Herbert, but way better than Herbert, and he's doing it with way less than Herbert as well. Yeah, and we're going to have to agree to disagree tools. on that. We're going to have to agree to disagree on that. Uh, agree to disagree. Just Name one star that Herbert has. I mean, that Burrow has. Well, A.J. Green isn't playing. A.J. Green isn't playing at the worst I've seen him play. And Tyler Boyd is the only uh, – Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins have definitely stepped in, but they're not superstar caliber yet. Herbert has very good pieces. He has Keenan Allen, one of the arguably best receivers in the league, top ten in my book. He has Mike Williams, and we could see – Mike Williams is very underrated. He's very, very underrated. underrated receiver, probably the most underrated receiver in the league. He is one of the better better catchers in the league. And then Herbert has a very much better O-line than Burrow does. Like I said, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this. Um, what are your thoughts on Tiger Vailoa potentially turning the Dolphins into a playoff team? They might be one of these teams that can sneak into the playoffs. Uh, I definitely think that, you know, when, when the decision was made to bench Fitzpatrick and start uh, Tua, especially against the Rams, uh, there were definitely some questions for Brian Flores and that organization, but I mean it's worked it's worked out wonderfully for him. You know, Tua is coming into his own. You know, his first game, um, he didn't he didn't do particularly well, but he he he, he didn't done. yeah he got the job done. He didn't put the ball in harm's way, and in that last game he stepped up when they needed him to step up. You know the Cardinals' offense is very, very good and number one ranked. Yeah, number one ranked, which is very surprising to me. But uh, he he shot it out with the the number one ranked uh, offense in the league, uh, turning that into a W. And so I'm very pleased with what I've seen from Tua thus far. Um, I think that Tua is if, if he keeps this up. He can honestly be in the conversation for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Even though it may be a stretch, it's probably going to Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. But, yeah, Robert, can I get your thoughts on this? Yes, Tua is definitely in the best position out of all his rookie quarterback fellow mates. But that's not trying to discredit the talent he has. That game that he played with Arizona, that was his second start of the, that was his second start of the season. His second start, and he went in there and got the job done against a very – I cannot stress a, how good the Cardinals team is. They are very good. And they went in there and they got the job done against them. Tua definitely showed the things that a lot of scouts had 
as it is positives, like the accuracy, the decision-making, also the scrambling ability, the way, to, the way he can extend the plays. And I think the Dolphins team, with him as their quarterback, they can definitely be a playoff team. You look at the games they have next, they have the Chargers next. That's definitely a winnable game. The Chargers seem like they just can't win games. They also have next and next the bye week. I'm sorry, the Jets. My bad on that. They have the Jets. Then the few games after that, they have the Bengals. And they have the Jaguars. And the toughest games they have next after that are the Chiefs and the Bills. And if they can go at least one and one in those games, I'm going to say one and one is one winning against the Bills and losing to the Chiefs, then they definitely will show their worth as a team. But even if they lose to both of those teams, Right now, who are arguably in the top five, they still can be a playoff team. I see them at least having 10 or 11 wins on the season with the schedule they have. It's a very easy schedule from here on out. I don't know about that one. 10 or 11 wins. They started off 3-3. Three and three, And they're now 5-3. So, and three. so you project four wins in a row. I project at least five more wins, yes. Against the, te- against the teams I see, they have the Chargers, the Jags, the bye week, the Jets, my bad. They have those teams. Yeah, five wins is definitely a little optimistic, seeing as this is still the Dolphins. They are not in the clear yet. And the Bills definitely have a stranglehold on the division, if you ask me. But only time will tell. Oh, yeah, and the Broncos, by the way. (laughs) Anyway, on to the next topic. Um, Drew Brees and the Saints absolutely dismantled the Buccaneers 38-3. Uh, I had to turn the game off in the first quarter. I didn't want to watch anymore. Um, You know, the Buccaneers had the addition of Antonio Brown, who many people thought would push this offense over over the edge to being um, unguardable. But the Saints found a way to get to Tom Brady, disrupt Tom Brady, and made him throw three picks on the night. Um, I don't necessarily know why the Buccaneers have been so inconsistent with their O-line. If you look at the games where he's being protected, he's 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 being Tom Brady. But when Tom Brady is forced to move out of the pocket and he's forced to uh, take hits and he's forced to get sacked, you know, Tom Brady has looked very bad, just for lack of a better term. He's looked bad. So... Um, the question is, do we think the Buccaneers' offense is as high-powered as we believe they are? Because if you look if you look at that game, they had uh, four rushing attempts um, plus a kneel at the end, so five. But that is you, – you, you can't win games like that, and you're throwing three picks and only rushing the ball four times. Uh, I don't necessarily understand the game plan that Bruce Arians has cooked up. Um you know, you have Gronkowski, you have Mike Evans, you have Chris Godwin, you now have Antonio Brown, you have uh, a Leonard Fournette in the, as their, uh, I, be- I believe he's the starting running back. You have a Ronald Jones. So I don't necessarily get why this offense has struggled so much, especially when, you know, they have, if, if they want to, they can run the ball. They, they got the deep threat, you know. They have the intermediate threat with Gronk, you know. they If they want to, they can send Godwin on short routes and they can tell Mike Evans to just, hey, just 
run as fast as you can downfield and win a jump ball. So I don't necessarily understand the struggles that the offense has had aside from the O-line because the O-line has been very inconsistent. Uh, Robert, I know what you think about this, but still, can I get your opinion on this uh, Buccaneers versus Saints game? Well, I watched every minute, every second of that game. Yeah, I know you did. And that was the most beautiful thing I've seen this season on the Saints part, definitely on the Buccaneers part. And out of, I've watched almost every game of this season, missing a few games, probably two or three. Those are Jets games. I don't care about the Jets. And I've watched every game of this season, and – that and I'm not I'm in no sort of way an NFL coach, but I've been playing the game of football for all of my life. I'm 18 years old now, and that was the worst game calling I've ever seen. Just not even NFL wise. Very bold statement. Just not even NFL wise. That, but NFL wise, this season that was the worst game calling and game planning I've seen this whole season. It's no reason why you have Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Fournette had five rushes, five rushes from that whole game, five rushes. Brady is trying to just nickel and dime his way down the field. He's trying to air it out at the same time, and you know you don't do that when you're you don't do that when you're down 38. You need to start going for those big plays eventually. The defense obviously just couldn't stop Drew Brees and. On to another topic. I think the game showed us a lot about the Saints. A lot of this blame is being put on on how the Buccaneers are inconsistent with their winning. Like, they can't figure things out. But this is a very good Saints team. They have been very under the radar. They're on a five-game win streak. In the two games they lost, they didn't have Mike Thomas for both of those. And one game, they didn't have Emmanuel Sanders. And the confidence that I saw from Drew Brees, it looked unreal. Like, he went, he literally went in head first every play. He followed the game plan from Sean Payton. He followed all the plays that he ran. He was very confident throughout. And he only had – he only had – he had 222 passing yards, four touchdowns. Those 220 passing yards may seem that, oh, he had four touchdowns, he should have more yards. But he, everything he did was perfect almost. It was perfectly executed by him on the offensive side of the ball. And the defense played amazingly. You talk about all the star power the Buccaneers have. I know that was bad game calling. I mean, got bad game planning. But they still have Mike Evans, who Marshawn Lattimore, by the way, held him to zero receptions. I knew you as were going to mention that. You always mention that. As usual, because Marshawn Lattimore is a very underrated corner. Then Godwin, he didn't do much either. He's not underrated when he's guarding Mike Evans. <laughs> Brown didn't do anything. Gronk didn't do anything. And the Buccaneers. Well, I want to. I want to put some. I want to put some context behind that. Antonio Brown had a he he had a touchdown if Brady threw it better. Uh, the, yes. the, ball, the ball was very very much so underthrown and it was easily picked off, I believe. Yeah, and a lot of blame was put on Brady this game. Yes, and a lot of blame deserves to be on Brady, but you got to equal out the blame for Brady and the coaching staff because they call you can ask anybody they call horrendous plays, you know. Brady's just following the play at the end of the day. He's giving. He's not the one calling the plays. They called two goal line fades in a row for Mike Evans. I don't necessarily know why. I mean, I get it. Mike Evans is great with the jump ball, but just look, Marshawn Lattimore has his number. You know that 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 was two plays that could have been uh, a draw a draw play for Linda Fournette or 
a quick slant to Chris Godwin or anything. You yeah, know? it was very bad play calling on the coaching staff's part. And this is a very good Saints team at the end of the day. They definitely showed their worth. Um, another topic. The Bills upset the Seahawks in the shootout. Um, with this loss and the two picks thrown by uh, Russell Wilson, did, is he losing in the MVP race right now? I know that that's sort of a a not important question because at the end of the day they lost, but they are I, they are still first or second they're in. First in the NFC are they first? Yeah, they're first. yeah they, the they, Cardinals they are. Lost, yeah, the Cardinals lost. So they they still are first in the NFC West, and I don't necessarily see them dropping that soon. But what we can talk about is is Russell Wilson. Has he lost his stranglehold on the MVP race? And unfortunately, I would say he definitely has. Um, if you look at it, his touchdown numbers have slightly gone down. You know, he isn't throwing four touchdowns a game anymore. And his interceptions have just spiked. You know, it started with the three-interception game against the Robert Kihemi with this, the, Cardinals. the Cardinals, and he just threw – two interceptions against the Bills. Granted, the Bills' defense is very good. But, you know, at this point, I give MVP to either Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. Honestly, no. I give it to Patrick Mahomes. He's thrown 25 touchdowns and one interception. Uh, we've only seen that one other time. Well, not necessarily specifically those numbers, but we've only seen a touchdown and interception ratio even close to that one other time. And Patrick Mahomes is the first quarterback to throw. 25 touchdowns and one interception. Yeah, so like far much of a football season. That that ratio is just insane. 25 to one. Any 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 quarterback would love to have. They would kill to have that uh, ratio. But and with all with all these stats you're giving, I'm gonna have to rebuttal against what you said. I still believe Russell Wilson is the MVP. Yes, he, de he definitely has a case. Yes, he yes he's his turnover problem is definitely something to be worked on. But I think this whole let Russ cook thing and let Russell Wilson do this and do that. I know he he even he even vouched for the let Russ cook campaign, but this is just getting out of hand. He literally has to do everything by himself. The Seahawks right now have the worst ranked defense in the league. They are now listen to these numbers. Their defense average, they allowed 32 points plus per game. That's he likes outrageous. the Seahawks, if you couldn't tell. That, that's outrageous. And then on top of that, the yards allowed is the most in the league. The only, team that allow, the only team that allows more points per game than a Seahawks defense is the Jets. And another thing with the Seahawks defense this year, they are historically, no other defense has done this. They have historically been the, the worst defense in NFL history, and this is just a halfway mark of the season. So when you look at that and you look at what Russ has to deal with, I say he's in the worst position out of any other quarterback in the MVP race. Almost definitely. Uh, he has to keep his production up and against a, a terrible defense. I mean, His O-line, by the way, is ranked 28th in the league. You're, you're going to have uh, games where you throw interceptions, maybe not two and three, but you're going to have games where, you know, Unfortunate things happen. It's you're gonna, up to you're, you to keep you're, the team in that game. Yeah, but I don't know. Russ definitely has a case. Um, 
sort of goes back to the whole what does MVP really mean? Does it mean the best player in the league or does it mean the player that means the most to their team? Because if we're going with the second, uh, then Russ has it, and that's 100%. You know, Russ definitely means the most of his team. Without him, they win no games most likely this year. Uh, you without know. a doubt. They're gonna, they will be the worst team in the league. <laughs> um, on the more NFL news, Adam Gase and the Jets stumbled 0-9 after a costly Joe Flacco turnover. Um, this put a smile on my face because I personally am still rooting for Cam Newton. Uh, a lot of people have seemed to given up on him after the lackluster start. I, I still say it's a mixture of him not having the talent around him and his own fault. But this last game, although he did not throw for a passing touchdown, he also didn't throw for interception. And his his um his efficiency with throwing the ball was it it was it was good, you know. Um, so hopefully the Patriots can back, get back on track and Cam can start showing uh, that, that former MVP form again. To end off this podcast, I want to ask a question to my friend Robert here. So we've been through eight weeks. It's a halfway point in the season. In your opinion, fully healthy, Who's the best team in the NFC and who's the best team in the AFC? Before you answer, before you answer, my answer is the best team in the AFC is the Pittsburgh Steelers with the Chiefs close behind. And for the NFC, it is the Packers with the Cardinals close behind. Yeah, um, I totally was not expecting either of those answers from you. The AFC. At least I didn't say Ravens. <laughs> AFC best team is definitely the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, all right. They they lost one game to a we can say good team, but definitely at that time a hot team. They definitely they had a bunch of shootouts with a bunch of top teams in the league, such as the Saints, the Chiefs, the Bills, and another team I can't get get my mind around it right now. So for the AFC, the best team I have to go to right now is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They're just they're playing phenomenal. They're finding ways to win, and their games have not been as close as the Steelers games have been against basically every team they beat almost. And then, right. and the best team in the NFC, I, I don't know if you guys can tell, but we definitely disagree on this. And the best team in the NFC, as much as I want to say the Seattle Seahawks, that defense is atrocious and the O line is horrible. So I'm gonna have to go with the New Orleans Saints. Just because they've been under, mm. they've been under the radar, and the two games they lost, they lost to the Raiders and the Packers. But both those times, Drew Brees' confidence was low. He didn't have his number one receiver, Mike Thomas, on the field, and we saw that just his presence being there while he was on the field it gave Drew Brees just a burst of confidence, and he was just there just to help out Drew and help out the team. So I'm definitely gonna have to give the Saints the best team in the NFC with the Packers. I can't even say the Packers close behind because we saw how the Buccaneers decimated them, and then look at what the Saints did to the Buccaneers. I do think it's interesting that you say the Saints are the best team in the NFC because of, of because in the I want to say around the week four-ish, five-ish area, whenever they went on, uh, whenever they lost, um, I, I believe they went on a two-game losing streak. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, yeah, uh, there were a lot of questions about does Drew Brees have it anymore. And if you ask me, just like every sports opinion, those kind of get blew out of proportion. 
But to go from does Drew Brees have it to the Saints are now the best team in the NFC, it's kind of interesting. But, hey, your opinion is your opinion. And with that. Everybody's completely healthy. They <laughs> Look at what they did. <laughs> look at what happens when nobody's healthy and when everybody's healthy. It's a completely different team. Well, again, the theme of this episode is we're going to de- agree to disagree. And with that, that has been this, this week's episode of the Four Verticals Podcast. Again, this is recorded on November 11th, 2020. Um, if you would like, if you would like more updates on this podcast, please follow us on Twitter at Four Vert Podcast. That is F O U R V E R T Podcast. Robert, would you like to plug your social media? Yes, you can. Let me pull it up right quick. So unprofessional. I apologize, guys. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore who is Robert. And again, that's underscore who is Robert. All righty. Um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we will see you next week. <laughs>